Steelers, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Now, here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. You know it is Victory Lane. This week, we recap the craziness that we saw at the Roval for the second year in a row as the playoff field shrunk from 16 to 12. The round of 12 is set. We had some more craziness going out west in Idaho at Meridian Speedway. We also have a one-on-one conversation with Noah Gregson of Junior Motorsports. Fun chat with him, as always. And... A preview of this weekend coming to you live actually right now from Newark, Delaware, as I will be on site at Dover International Speedway. So let's get this episode started, as we always do, with a little reggaeton. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, I did that in a hotel room. I think I was in, uh, I don't know where I was. That's besides the point. But I, I hope that the person sitting or staying next to me in the hotel does not think that I'm crazy or Jamaican. Well, let's talk about the Bank of America Roval 400 from Charlotte Motor Speedway. It was, I guess in a word, crazy. <laughs> um, Kelly Crandall of Racer.com and a couple other people in the NASCAR Media Corps have kind of written a similar type column, basically saying, you know, look, this racetrack does not put on the purest form of racing. Nobody can really argue that, but you can't really argue that it's entertaining. <laughs> It was fun to watch, for sure. Chase Elliott winds up winning the dang thing after crashing into the barriers in turn one. So what happened? He hit them on a restart, uh, came over the radio, said, I can't believe I just did that. That was so stupid. Really embarrassing moment for him. And, of course, he owned it. But what was he thinking in the moments that followed hitting that tire barrier? Because the damage wasn't all that bad. Yeah, I mean, definitely at the time, I thought we were were done, uh, for sure, and uh, you know, I could see, you know, they were showing it up on the big screen. I could see the big screen down the back and I was looking at it and, you know, I, I was like, well, the hood's not that bad, but I, I thought the splitter was, you know, knocked up. And I felt like if that was going to be the case, then we were probably done um, from there. And, and obviously just a, a really stupid mistake. I mean, I'm not sure that you could do something more stupid uh, than, than that. So if there ever is a uh, notebook of things not to do, that should be number one in that uh in that book and by the way that celebration was absolutely legendary jeff glug said that it kind of goes into the hall of fame of celebrations and i wholeheartedly agree so my thing about chase is like he's chill he doesn't really say much he's obviously the sport's most popular driver because uh his dad held that title for a while he he likens himself to fans very easily but i gained some respect for chase in the department of kind of just putting himself out there with this move, it was an insane celebration. I loved it. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I was coming back on the front stretch and I saw that dang thing and I was like, well, I couldn't pass this opportunity up to go down here and redeem myself a little bit in turn one. So um, I was pretty excited about that one. I'm, I'm typically not very quick witted, but I was uh, I was really really proud of that. I was pretty fired up and uh, definitely, you know. It should have never been special uh, in the first place, but since I went out of my way to make it special today, I felt like I had to go back and, and see it one more time. 
Going back to that incident in turn one, Alan Gustafson gives us a lowdown on the damage and the day as a whole. Fortunately, you know, it really wasn't much. It seemed like it pushed the hood down more than anything and kind of pushed the hood uh, inside of the top of the fenders and, and uh, kind of pushed it back into the windshield. So I mean, the biggest thing that we really had to do is, is get that back sealed up and get it down. Um, you know, having that vented isn't, isn't the greatest thing in the world for the performance of the car. So, uh, yeah, it was our biggest task. And as long as the splitter was intact and in good condition, uh, no tire rubs, we were going to be in decent shape. So that was the case. We, we got lucky on that. I don't, I don't know how we... Uh, didn't have more substantial damage than that. I think it just, yeah, that, that went our way. And, of course, team owner Rick Hendrick had to weigh in, of course. What was his mindset for the number nine team after that incident happened? And then the hard part, coming back through the field. And I thought if he could get back to the top ten, that'd be great. But the car was really fast, and I thought it was hurt when it went into that barrier. And uh, when he came out and the lap times were good, and then we got a couple of cautions that helped us and he got back up to the front, and uh, the car was really good, and he made some unbelievable moves. So I'm just uh, really proud. Three of the last five road courses he's won, that's pretty sporty. It's a nice statistic there, Mr. H. Thank you for that. Chase Elliott has won three of the last five road course races that he has competed in. Seems like him and Martin Truex Jr. are kind of taking the right and left turns in the NASCAR Cup Series world by storm. Uh, the rest of the field, let's get into that. Alex Bowman, what a weekend for him. Comes home in second place, and he does transfer to the round of 12 by the skin of his teeth. Kevin Harvick came home in third. Believe he led the most laps. Clint Boyer and Brad Keselowski round out the top five. Ryan Newman was in position to advance, barely, but with two laps to go, he blows the backstretch chicane. Oh, so close, yet so far. So Ryan Newman is out. Eric Almarola is also out. Kurt Busch had his worst three races of the season in the first round of the playoffs, so unfortunate for him. And Eric Jones, you want to talk about unfortunate. He had more issues early in the race, not have his own doing. He does not advance. So let's recap. Las Vegas, he has a transmission issue. That sucks. Um, then you go to Richmond, and you fail inspection. That's not his fault. And then you go to the Roval, and you get in an accident going into turn one on a restart. Not of his doing. He just got you know, dragged into it, and he doesn't transfer to the next round either. So kind of sucks for him, but I have a feeling that he'll be competing inside the top five and running, competing for wins for the rest of the year. So transferring into the next round, Alex Bowman was kind of the story uh, because we saw what happened with him post-race with Bubba Wallace. So let's rewind, though. He's sick to start the weekend. He qualifies second with 30 seconds left in final practice. He junks his car, so they have to go to a backup. They lose that front row starting spot, so you're thinking, oh, geez, what a what a weekend this is going to be for them. Looks like they had solid stage points in the bag, but now they're not going to be able to get them. It's going to be a struggle. But Bowman's car was insanely fast. So they worked their way up. They get some stage points, I believe, in the second stage. Um, they were involved in two or three cautions, I think. He ended up spinning Bubba Wallace out. I shouldn't say spin. He dumped him coming out of the backstretch chicane. And that happened because Bubble allegedly, and we actually saw, was flipping Alex Bowman off like the entire time. And that also happened at Richmond. He basically said, I got to stand up for myself. Like, I'm not going to take this BS anymore. And then after the race, he gets out. He's dehydrated. He has some heat exhaustion. So Bubba Wallace comes over to chat and then splashes water on him. You're thinking, geez, 
And then he also got the medical personnel in it. He got Jeff Gordon splashed with it. So that was that was pretty crazy as well. Also, Kyle Busch finished last. He had a broken sway bar, and during the red flag, he just literally drove backwards down pit road and just parked it in the garage. That was kind of funny. So look, the Roval did not disappoint again. The second year in a row, this event has been in place, and the second year in a row, the event has delivered. Speaking of delivering, how about Derek Krause? You talk about Denny delivering for FedEx. How about Derek Krause? He wins at Meridian Speedway in the Napa Auto Parts Idaho 208. For the fourth time this season, his 12th overall K&M Pro Series victory. His first at Meridian Speedway, though, led 100 laps. A nice run for him. We talked on the front stretch for NASCAR Home Tracks about his victory. His fourth win of 2019 comes at Meridian Speedway. He dominated the race last year and led a handful of laps tonight. Got the job done. How'd you steer clear of all that carnage and win this race? Finally, yeah. I mean, we uh, it's been a it's been a good year so far, and tonight was just another short track race. I mean, there was a lot of beating and banging. There was a lot of yellows for sure. There was a lot of restarts, and I was able to get the lead over Jagger uh, about halfway through the race, and I was able to keep it. So that was really good, and I'm really happy with how tonight went. And I'm really I can't thank the guys that work on this car enough. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about the contact that we saw in turn three with Jagger. What happened from your perspective? Uh, yeah, we raced clean all night, and uh, I, again, I started on the restart, restarted on the outside, and I was driving to one, and he ran me up the racetrack a little bit, and I tried driving underneath him, going into three, and got under, got underneath him, got into his left rear quarter panel a little bit, and I'm sure he's not very happy with me, but that's part of racing. I've been, I've been on the other end of that, and I know how it feels with Colorado, so uh, I'm definitely, I'm sure he's mad, and I'm sorry about it, but I guess that's short track racing. Well, Derek Krause extends his championship points lead. He was 29 up coming in, and now he extends that, sitting pretty for this championship. And the elephant in the room, we mentioned it right there. We talked a little bit more about the contact with Jagger Jones, who led the most laps on the evening. I asked him a little bit more about it. He feels bad about it, um, but also I wanted to ask him about getting back in the right mindset after kicking himself, because on the radio, he was basically telling his team, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Um, But he was able to get back in the swing of things, get his mind right, hit his marks on those restarts, and then cruise to the victory. Now we are on tape, and we are not on camera. Crazy how technology works. Um, all right, Derek, I want to ask you a little bit more about the contact in turn three. So Jagger said that he, um, yeah, and we're looking at your car right now. There's obviously not a ton of damage, and you're kind of one of the only people in the field that didn't really have any damage. So when he pushed you up the hill in turn two, did you anticipate the contact in turn three? Like, what was your mindset going in there? Um... I mean, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I really didn't expect him going to one and get into me, get into my door. I mean, we made a little bit of contact over over the race, but, I mean, that's that's racing. You can't get mad about that at all. But, I mean, I knew something was going to happen. It's short track racing. It's at the end of the race. But, uh, I mean, we were racing really clean, and just, we just went in the corner, and he got into me pretty good. And now the firework goes off. Thank but, you for the play-by-play. Uh, <laughs> we were we were into the corner, and me up the racetrack a little bit and I wasn't I really wasn't expecting it but then uh I tried to cross him over and then going in the three I just drove it in there a little bit too deep and got into him a little bit and he went around I tried I tried to like slow down enough that he would get sideways and like hit my his left front hit my door and try to straighten it out and keep going but that didn't that didn't really happen and uh I mean I feel terrible for it but I guess at the end of the night I've been on the receiving side of that and uh I know how it feels and I feel bad for him and I'm sure he's mad, but we'll have to move on to Roseville. 
when I heard you on the radio, you seemed pretty upset with yourself about it. How did you kind of recompose yourself and say, all right, we still got work to do and then finish the thing off? Uh, yeah, I mean, it. Uh, we like you said, I was a little upset with myself. Uh, going into that red flag, I was just sitting there and I was playing back what happened at Bristol between Chase and uh, Sam with Sam going into turn three. But that, I guess I was on the first lap. But uh, I was just worried they were going to send me to the back, and at the end of it, they didn't. I just knew. Then I said to myself, I had to start on the bottom. So we started on the bottom of the racetrack and got a good start and just kind of drove away. And my crew kept me calm the whole time, which helps a lot. I um, I easily get frustrated. And that's one of my weaknesses, I feel. But uh, they kept me calm tonight, and we were able to finish the, finish the job. Speaking of finishing the job, I know there's three more races to go, but you got to feel pretty good about your championship points lead heading into the final three races of the year. I mean, as long as you keep doing this, it's pretty much on lock. Yeah, we just got to keep staying consistent. We got to be at the, at the front of the races at the end of the race. I mean, like you said, or like, like everyone saw, we didn't qualify very good. I mean, to be honest with you, we struggled a lot. And then just through the race, something just clicks in this car. It's It's been good with me if, if, through all three years of racing with Bill McAnally Racing. This car is just comes on during the race. And um really excited to go to the next three races. Kern, I'm really excited to go to. And then uh, Phoenix will be one heck of a race. I'm really looking forward to that one, too. And then Bill's race at Roseville. That, that, that's always a really fun racetrack to go to because the stands are, stands are packed and there isn't a seat left in the house. And that's really cool as a driver to race in front of a packed house. Congrats, that brother. Thanks. <laughs> and you heard him mention that championship outlook right there. It's looking pretty solid for Derek Krause. I don't want to say it's over, but with three races to go, he's up 40 points on Trevor Huddleston. Unless something catastrophic happens to him in each of the three races, I think he's pretty much got that on lock. Jagger Jones was unsurprisingly unhappy. He's a chill guy most of the time, um, and you kind of could tell that here, but he vowed revenge. Pretty dominant night for Jagger Jones. Unfortunately, ends one lap short of the finish. The final restart, you got a good one. You used up Derek a little bit in turn two, and then turn three and four. Take me through what happened. Yeah, I mean, I raced him clean all race. Um, he definitely probably had a little bit of a better car. Um, and then on that last restart, I mean, it's it's a green-white checkered. I used, I didn't want to just go in there and push him out of the way and take take him out like he did to me. I just wanted to, uh, you know, give, give him a little door, see what I could do, try to get in front of him. And luckily, that's I think I had a really good restart. I did that. I didn't didn't just go in there and take him out. And then he just just can't put up with it. Just takes dumps completely dumps us tears up our car our teammates car half the field i mean he better keep his seatbelt tight because not going to put up with that that's it's just just dangerous it's it's stupid i mean he has the points lead and and he just races like that takes straight takes us out when we didn't uh nearly do anything like that to him what did you think of the way that you guys were racing up until that point because on a, on a few restarts before that you guys were neck and neck every single time yeah for sure i mean i i definitely i mean it's a quarter mile short track i used my my fender a little bit sometimes a little bit intentionally sometimes unintentionally but um it was all racing and then that last bit well that's that's just wrecking i mean i mean he hit me so hard i, I didn't even have a chance to hold on to it so can you take any solace in the fact that you you led a ton of laps tonight and you had one of the best cars that you've had all year or is that not really matter when you have a wreck race car um i mean there's definitely p- positives to take away from that but it really does suck coming home with the wreck race car uh i think it collected our teammate too so that sucks and a bunch of other cars in the field so um, definitely positives. I think we can get a little better and maybe just stay in front. Um, that would be the ideal. But with all those restarts, it's hard to do. He led the most laps on the evening, and he was oh so close to his first victory ever in the k Pro Series. But you know what? 
I guess that's racing. It happens. He will move on and try to get another one here at Roseville, Kern, and then ISM. So let's talk about the rest of the field because it was <laughs> ridiculous. Todd Souza came home in second place, his best finish of the season and his second best finish of his career. But he was at the center of attention with a couple incidents throughout the night. Um, most notably, I would say he dumped Zach Telford on the final lap coming out of turn two, and he raced Haley Deegan pretty tough. I, I think Todd's kind of becoming, or maybe he always was, and I'm just realizing it now in kind of like my third year of covering the series. He's like the Ryan Newman of the K&M Pro Series West. He's tough to pass. He's the old guy that's been around for a while. He's had his results. He's maybe not in the prime of his career. I think that's fair to say. And he kind of irks a lot of people. And even though he's a veteran, a, a series veteran, um, that has had a lot of experience in this series, he's not going to roll over for the young guys, and he wants them to realize that. Solid, solid, solid night for Todd Souza. Comes home with a runner-up finish, and you survived all the carnage that we saw here tonight. How was it competing in this race from your seat with all of that going on around you? You know, most of it was behind me. We were up up in the top five pretty much the whole race. I don't think I ever felt behind, you know, past fifth. Um, you know, there was some stuff up there in the front, but, but there was some stuff I had to go through, too, that was in the back when we were coming up on it. But you know, a little frustrating. Uh, our car was set up for the long run, and uh, those kept getting cut short. Um, and that, it, uh, you know, I hated to see what happened to the 17 car there at the end. Um, 15-year-old kid, you know, a lot of promise in the future. You know, he's going to use me up like that. Uh, you know, if you're going to take the bottom, dive it in there. Don't use me as a, as a berm shot. So, you know, I had to give that back to him there at the end. Uh, not happy about it, but, but that's racing. That's what had to be done. But, you know, other than that, I, you know, I'd really like to thank, uh, you know, my, my crew chief, Michael Munoz. Really digging deep this last week. We had a terrible run at Gateway. Um, my wife for, for standing behind us and, and supporting us, even though we've had some really really bad runs and I'd uh, like to thank Junior Joyner for uh, for stepping up too and, and getting our car where it needs to be with Michael so take me back to something that happened earlier on in the race back to Gateway first of all right. you had an incident with Haley Deegan I only saw one replay so at this moment I'm not exactly sure what happened but she got into it with Trevor Huddleston who finished right behind you in third right. did anything happen between you two no not really you know she was in front of me on a bunch uh, you know a handful of restarts um you know, I drove her like I would have anybody else in the race. I, I didn't really, uh, didn't drive her dirty. She left the door open a little bit on the bottom here. I stuck it under her. She came down. You know, I backed back out of it. Um, you know, everything was clean there on that. Uh, when she got in it with Huddleston, it, uh, she got in it with, with me the lap before. And, uh, you know, she was using me as, as, as a berm shot there, too. Yeah, you can't just, uh, you know, take the inside and then use me to turn you. You know, or, or to turn your car for you. So it, uh, I backed out of it, uh, you know, to keep from getting wrecked and putting the wall coming off before. And then she got into it with Huddleston, and I think she just lost her mind there. It was kind of crazy to see what she did there. Just, I think she just completely fell apart there. This is one of my favorite bites of the year. Uh, Trevor Huddleston was somewhat in awe, as was I, that he finished third and vaulted himself into second place and the title hunt, they're probably not going to win the championship. But hey, um, it was really, really good for him on that night. And it's good for him to get a, a runner-up spot in the championship right now. Plus, he had some words for Haley Deegan because they got into a little bit of a skirmish on the track. I believe around the halfway point or so of the race that 
sent Haley Deegan's night spiraling out of control. Take a listen to those words for her at the end. Well, Trevor Huddleston just got a trophy for finishing in third place. I don't really know how you did it. You survived all the carnage that we saw here tonight, and you were involved in one of the late race wrecks. How the heck did you finish on the podium? Uh, I don't know. I really am shocked. Uh, I'm pretty sure we were eighth going into turn one and third coming off of turn four. Uh, all hell broke loose. That's all I know. There was smoke, and we just dazed the thunder and throttled it up and uh, ended up good. You know, it sucks that we were even in that position. Uh, we were really fast early on, and uh, the one who runs into the most people out here uh, took us out again. So um, really unfortunate, but... Um, this nine car was fast, and it was good on the long runs. Uh, these short restarts weren't our friend, but um, as the race went on, we kept getting better and better and better. So uh, it's all right. We'll go get him at Roseville. I um, just can't thank everybody enough. Yeah, talk to me about the, the incident that you had with the 19 there. I only saw one replay. I'm sure that doesn't really tell the whole story. What happened from your perspective? You know, I, I'm not quite sure if she thought that I was the 13 car and uh, that I got into her the lap before, but... Um, she got into it with 13, which is not surprising because she gets in it with everybody. Um, but I had her passed, and next thing you know, she was on my inside. And uh, we connected, and she got sent into the wall, and nothing you can do in those situations. But um, one of these days, somebody's going to do it on purpose, and it's not going to end good. But uh, she needs to learn respect if she wants to go any higher. Some strong words there from Trevor Huddleston. We'll see if uh, if things come to fruition and their their tempers boil over here at Roseville in a couple weeks. Josh Phanopoulos, you probably never heard that name because he had never finished on the lead lap in his entire career. Is his entire, in his entire career, he had never finished on the lead lap. But he was fourth on the green-white checkered restart. Like, that, that does not happen. And then he ended up finishing sixth after he spun out on the final lap. Talk about crazy. Like I mentioned... This is the guy's first time finishing on the lead lap. It's his best career finish, obviously, running for Cart Idaho Racing. And they put this car together like basically that day. So I think Josh Phanopoulos, although nobody really knows about him, and frankly, I don't think a lot of people care, I think he might have been the story of the night. Somebody that I was shocked to see running fourth when we were taking the green-white checkered was Josh Phanopoulos. Tell me up until that point, how did you avoid all the carnage and get to where you were? I just tried to run smart, stay out of the way, save the car for the end because I, I knew it was going to be a, a wreck fest at the end. <laughs> that was that was the plan. And, and it was pretty much a wreck fest. And like we just mentioned, you spun out on the front stretch. Take me through from your vantage point what happened. Uh, you know, Sousa, Sousa didn't get the good, didn't get a good start, and uh, Telford ducked under him. I followed him, and the seven car just came in too hot and and dumped me. We talked, and I expressed my my uh, dislike in the in the in the you know the event. He apologized and move on to the next one. So I know you obviously didn't get the finish that you wanted, but what kind of confidence does this give you and your team moving forward to know that? Yeah, sure, maybe you didn't have the fourth fastest car based on speed, but you were up there competing with them at the end. You know, it uh, it, it was definitely a, a, a morale boost for our team. We put this car together two days ago, and we have fought nothing but problems all day to get it on the track. So to come out with even a, a lead lap finish is a, is a victory in our book for this current situation. I'm curious, and I know, like, you know coming from me because I'm at the track every weekend. When I saw you running fourth, thought it was a mistake i mean like what was going through your head when you realized okay we're not only on the lead lap we're not only inside the top five like 
we got a shot to do something here. You know, I was uh, it was unfortunate that the cars up front wrecked. That was kind of what put us there. It was not that we earned it. It was a couple guys wrecked, so we uh, were giving it. Um, but I, uh, we were sitting there just, to, you know, and everyone told me, stay calm, just screen white checkers, stay calm, don't get overexcited, you know. And, and I was happy to settle with a fourth if we were side-by-side side with Telford, and uh, the line moved, and I went with it. And I don't know, I was, I was pretty excited. And I was, I was like, I was even telling myself, ah, probably worst case is a fifth, you know, Zamora might get underneath me, and and uh, but I don't know where I finished. They won't tell me yet. <laughs> nice job tonight. Thank you. If he was P1 for story then I think this kid was definitely a close P2. A very impressive performance from Zach Telford. The 15-year-old was in line for a second-place finish in his first-ever start until we talked about Todd Souza dumped him. I think we're going to be hearing from this kid a lot in the near future. Well, he was running second on the white flag, and then, unfortunately for him, some things happened in turn three. We'll get to that, but Zach Telford, I think you impressed a lot of people here tonight. You're 15 pounds. Your crew chief just told me you weighed in. 15 years old, sorry. I got this confused because your crew chief told me that you weighed in today at 101 pounds, and you were super sure. excited yeah. to get the triple digits. You put this car in position to win the race. You were running second on the white flag. How was your race overall up until that point? Because I think everybody was extremely impressed. Um, I mean, we had the car at the end. Our car wasn't by any means the fastest the first 170 laps. But at the end, we really had a car that pulled through. Um, And I'm just glad we were able to run with the big guys and hold our line. And unfortunately, things happened at the end. And we'll just move on and go from there. So what did happen at the end? Just take me through it from your vantage point. Well... Uh, from my point, I got under the 13. I got my nose in there, and he didn't want us to be there. And I was able to move him up, and I was able to go by him. And then he didn't like what I did, and he decided to punt me through the corner. And uh, we didn't get to finish the race. So what was going through your mind when you felt yourself spinning and you're saying, well, there goes a good chance at the finish because obviously you're not running for points. You're just here to basically make a name for yourself and have a good finish. And you had that going for you up until that point. I mean, I was mad. I was wondering why he just punted us because by any means, I, I didn't think I did anything. I don't think I ran him up the track or I don't think I put myself in a bad spot there, but I guess he did and he, thought he didn't want us to finish second. ton of hometown support for you here today. There's a ton of fans waiting to talk to you. What did it mean to you to have all these fans cheered for you? It was, it was unbelievable how much support I got. I couldn't have done any of this without any of my fans and my crew, my family, and any of my sponsors. I mean, without any of those fundaments, we wouldn't have been here. And it was just couldn't have done it without everybody. I got a feeling we'll be seeing a lot more of you soon. Hopefully. (laughs) Thanks, Zach. Thank you. (laughs) Hope you like me calling him 15 pounds. Nothing like live interviewing. Interview time. Let's talk with Junior Motorsports Xfinity Series driver Noah Gregson. We spent some time at his home track at Las Vegas Motor Speedway a few weeks back before he hopped in his number nine car, his number nine Chevrolet, I should say. Here's some topics we touched on. How he got his start in racing, especially at the bull ring at Las Vegas. What was the turning point of his career that happened in the K&M Pro Series, including some Chris Eggleston beef from my OG homies. The difference between racing when it was quote-unquote fun and not a job, and now that it is a profession. People don't know that he's a twin, so we talked about him being a twin. Racing with different manufacturers from Toyota now to Chevrolet, the Snowball Derby win that he got this past offseason, and the shenanigans that followed. His goldfish that unfortunately died. Um, That was kind of a funny moment. Not that he died, but you'll see what I mean. Puking after he wins. Why does that happen? 
working with a sports psychologist to get his mind right, and of course, so, so, so much more. Thank you to Mike Campbell from Junior Motorsports for helping me coordinate this conversation. And speaking of it, let me throw it to you. Hope you guys enjoy it. A pleasure to be joined by Noah Grakes. And I was just telling you off mic, I'm excited for this because we always just joke around whenever we're doing these one-off K&N races in the garage because we got a couple mutual friends, but we've never really sat down or, in this case, stood up and chatted. So I'm excited. It's good to be home, though, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, it's great to be back in my hometown of Las Vegas and Got a lot of friends and family coming out to the racetrack this weekend, so I'm excited for it. More than more this weekend than any other weekend of the year, probably. Yeah, I mean, every weekend you go to, you get those those jitters of yeah. you just want to get back in the race car. But here, it's different. Um, just with with all the support of everybody in my hometown of Las Vegas, it, it means a lot to me as a a driver and and just feeling that support and and being back here and getting to go out of your favorite restaurants and yeah. sleep in your, your bed that you grew up sleeping in. It's it, a nice change of pace yeah, on the road. It's, it's really nice, so uh, I'm ready to have some fun. So this place means a lot to you, obviously. I know that you kind of cut your teeth right down the road at the bull ring. Take me back there if you would. I mean, when did you start racing? What did you race? How were you when you raced? And when did it all really kick into you saying, all right, I think I'm going to actually pursue this? Because mm-hmm. it happened right down the road. Yeah, it, uh, it's, it's gone by very, very fast, and I'm, I'm really thankful for everybody who's helped me throughout my racing career to up to this point and, and everybody who um, hopefully will continue to, to race me or help me race and be a part of my career but um, I'm 21 right now and I started racing when I was 13 years old so um, kind of a late start compared to I was gonna say, most compared guys. everybody else that's uh, really they late. start when they're four five six years old in go-karts so I started in a bandolero uh, when I was 13 years old and uh, ran that whole first season at the bull ring we went out and, and checked it out and um, Ran the first race. I finished like third in my first race, and then um, won the track championship. Moved up to Legend Cars and, and ran Legend Cars in 2013, 2014 for two years, and then um, they weren't having a lot of super late model car counts, and we felt like it was maybe time to to move up. And um, I ran a couple of super late model races at the end of 2014, and then uh, we weren't sure what we wanted to do. And then I got the opportunity to meet with uh, a team. Um, which was formerly Gene Price Motorsports, and the crew chief, two crew chiefs, um, they needed a driver. And so um, I didn't know if I was ready to go run in the K&N series. Um, there's these, these two crew chiefs named Jerry Pitts and Jeff Jefferson, and, and they took a shot on heard me them a time um, too. To, to start this team up. And, and they had one guy named Grayson Rass signed up who, who ended up being my teammate, and, and we committed to go run the K&N season. I was just hoping to... Um, finish that year out with maybe a couple of top 10 finishes, one or two, um, maybe complete all the laps, hopefully not get put a lap down and then um, maybe top 10 in points at the end of the year. And in the first race, we ended up third and then uh, went to the third race and ended up winning in Tucson. And Expectations um, changed quick. Yeah, definitely. Definitely um, for myself, it gave me a big boost of confidence. And I'd say that was kind of the turning point in my career in mm-hmm. 2015, um, this, this first four or five races of, hey, maybe I, I can do this, and yeah. uh, maybe it's now turning from fun to I might have an opportunity at doing this in the future, and so um, we battled back and forth for the championship lead, and then um, ended up like four points short of the championship when we got to, to Phoenix. Um, Did Eggleston win that year? Yeah, yeah, Eggleston dumped me with two, um, the second to last race of the year, I was two points ahead of him going into that race. I was running second, he was running third, and then 
with five laps to go. We were at a quarter mile. He he jacked me up and dumped me. And I finished eighth that race. So we went into the 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 next race, and he was four points ahead of me. It's kind of a cheap shot, and uh, not a lot of people know that happened. Yeah, um, I, didn't, I, I didn't know before. that happened either. And so um, when we got to Phoenix, uh, we weren't that good. Um, he blew up in practice, so my confidence was was higher than normal. He didn't get a lot of practice time, but we we didn't come that great as a as a company or as a team. I didn't feel like um, we had Greg Persley running, who who's won at Phoenix. A legend. He, I think he qualified like 26th. I think I qualified 22nd. So all of our cars were 20th, 22nd, 23rd, and 26th. Yeah. So um, it was a struggle, but we drove up to the top 10 and. Um, on the last lap, I was in front of Chris, and then I let him go into turn one, and I tried to, to move him up out of the groove to get a couple of, of guys to pass him, and so he'd get up on all the marbles and everything. I, I didn't try and wreck him, but uh, we were three wide with Ronnie Bassett, and, uh, and I got into him. Sorry, I love all these a, old names. It's a long story, but um, he got, I was the bottom of three wide. He was middle, and Ronnie was top, and so... Um, I went to go kind of shuffle Chris Eggleston up out of the way in turns three and four, and um, I moved him, and, and he leaned on Ronnie Bassett and was able to save it and ended up winning the championship, unfortunately. But um, it's you remember like it was yesterday. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember every single part of that day and, and of that year, and really every single race I'm a part of. Um, I I pay attention a lot to detail, um, and I can pretty much tell you every single lap. Um, from from any of the races that maybe stick out out of my mind, um, some of the bigger wins I've had. So, uh, with that being said, it is kind of frustrating that year. We came back the next year and ran the East and the West series, and they made me miss Iowa because it was a combination race. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so I elected to take West points. We finished like third in the West, and yeah. then won four or five ra four races that year, and then ran the Truck series uh, for the last two years, and then. Had a shot to go run some Xfinity races last year with Joe Gibbs Racing. Yep. Finished third in um, my debut at Richmond, so that was really cool for myself, and and that was a big confidence booster for myself, knowing that maybe I can compete with these guys, and and I think it helped with my confidence getting back into the truck because we won the next weekend at, at Kansas. So you kind of talked about it at the start of that. I mean, going back to those K&N days and the late models and the Bendeleros, that seemed like before it became a job, so to speak. Now, don't get me wrong. You're enjoying yourself. You're having a grand time right now. But back then is when you were racing for fun. It was exactly that, right? It was fun. I mean, those are those are the kind of stories that you're going to be telling your kids and your grandkids back in the day when they're saying, hey, tell me about Talladega. Tell me about this and that. But you want to talk about the Legends cars at the Bullring because that's when you cut your teeth. That's yeah, when it was definitely. Fun. That, that was... Uh... Probably the legend cars are probably the most fun cars I think I've ever driven yeah. just because they have a lot of power for how much they weigh. Um, so the power to weight ratio is, is out of control. And then um, you're on like a street tire that's treaded. So you don't have a lot of grip and the wheelbase is really short. So you're you're constantly sli yeah. slipping and sliding. So they're really fun cars. We'd race at the bull ring. We'd race at the road course right outside the bull ring and um, really Las Vegas Motor Speedway, the bullring and the road course, that's where I grew up racing. And so I made a lot of memories with um, the O'Hanley family and, and Bandoleros and then Dustin Ash, he did all my, my legend car and late model stuff out here. And he still, I mean, I was with, at dinner with Dustin the other day and um, with his family. So it's, it's really cool to be able to kind of 
live out my dream, but at the same time be able to still hang out with these these people and still talk to them on a, on a daily basis. Because if it weren't for these people, I wouldn't be where I am. Yeah, it's cliche, but it, it's very true. So tell me a little bit about what you like to do outside of the car. You're, you're very uh, active on social media, which as a fan and a media member, I appreciate. You're into PUBG now. Yep. I, can you tell me what that is? Because I'm not I'm not so about that life. It's right like now. you know what Fortnite is. Yeah, so like yeah, Fortnite. Yeah. It's kind of like Fortnite. It's on your phone, right? Yeah, okay. we play PUBG Mobile. So there's like PUBG on Xbox, and then there's PUBG on computer, and then there's PUBG Mobile, which is obviously yeah. on your phone or on your tablet. I play, I had Dale Jr. I play on my iPad. With you the other week. Yeah, we play like like once or twice a week all the time. Uh, yeah, I, I like to to carry the squad. Um, <laughs> I feel like, but I don't know. Sometimes I'll have an off day and. Um, their backs might start to hurt because they're carrying me, but <laughs> overall, we Justin plays, Allgaier plays with us, um, my buddy Grayson Raz, Tim yep. Duggar, Dale, um, we all play together. It's a hell of a squad. I feel like it's it started to uh, to build a friendship that maybe wouldn't have been there if it weren't for, cool. for PUBG Mobile, so um, definitely helps with my team chemistry with Justin, just being able to talk to him and communicate with him and, and build that friendship, so um, we play two, three, four times a, a week, and uh, it's a lot of fun just to, I don't know, I'm kind of kind of boring. I've taken a step back from maybe some people who might not have my best interest when I hang out with them, so um, I've kind of not become a loner, but I've just become more reserved and to myself, and I'd rather just talk to them the buddies who I know who have my best interest yeah. than to go hang out with other people. Used to be wild and back in the day. Definitely. AKA definitely. like a year or two years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely um, having fun and um, just, I don't know, being a wild man, but I've learned that these, I don't know, fake people in these worlds, snakes. You know? I feel you. I feel you. Um, a lot of people might not know this, but I believe that you were a twin growing up. Yep. You yep. had no idea. How, how was that growing up, having a twin? Uh, so... Having a twin, we we'd always fight. Me, and my sister always fight. We're becoming closer now. Yeah. Um, ever since That's we got college works. and everything, but we fight like cats and dogs, and <laughs> like she would always start it, but I would like finish it. Like not not have like a knockout drag <laughs> out or anything, but like we just uh, talk crap to each other. That's what all brothers and, and sisters and, do. But I don't know. I love my sister. I, lo I love my family and. Um, she's in college right now. She's doing her thing. And Where's so, she at in college? Um, she's at SMU in Texas. Cool. So, so she's having a lot of fun there. And, um, I think she's doing like business or something there. So it's a missed opportunity because they're the Mustangs. Could be driving a Mustang. No, nah, Chevy Camaros all the way. Yeah, it's all the way. Yeah, Camaros. Speaking of that, let's get into a little racing. Uh, so you obviously were with Kyle Busch Motorsports, driving a Toyota Tundra there. Now you're with Chevy at Junior Motorsports. Can you tell me about the differences that you've experienced so far? between those two manufacturers. Although it's different series, I'm sure that you have some experiences that are different and some that are the same between Toyota and Chevy. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like the, the people at Toyota were, were great to me and mm -hmm. great for building my career. They obviously have a great development program, but um, I don't know. I feel like Chevy is, is my home and um, the place where I, I feel best is being with a, a Chevrolet team and being with Junior Motorsports that fits my personality and so they allow me to be myself for the most part, which I really enjoy, and um, it's just a great opportunity to be racing in the Xfinity Series. I'm, I'm very fortunate and lucky, and then to do it with a, a great team like we have at, at Junior Motorsports and just 
how everybody interacts with each other at the shop and, and everybody really just gets along and, and likes to have a good time. Obviously, we're here to do our job and, and that's to, to win races and do the best job possible and, and bring fast Camaros to the racetrack. But uh, everybody likes to have fun at the same time and I feel like that's how I am um, and that's what that's what keeps me motivated um, throughout the throughout the week and, and throughout the years is just being myself and having a good time and I feel like I perform better that way. Let's talk about some more fun, Snowball Derby. Mm -hmm. uh, would it be safe to say that that was the biggest win for you personally of your career? Because I know that that race means a lot to you. Yeah, I uh, I feel like that was that was probably the biggest one of my career. And um, the truck wins are awesome. Yep. Racing all these different cars and I just all haven't that seen is, you that happy. It's like, fun after a truck win that I saw you at the Derby. Yeah, it just, just seemed like a different vibe. It's just cool how everything came together. Um, 2017, I ran with um, Marcus Richmond and, and what is now the four team. Mm -hmm. um, but my first year, I was with that group, and then I switched over to the team um, who had Rudy Fugel and, and they had Christopher Bell. So I, I switched teams in 2017. Kyle told me that that's what he wanted going into the 2018 season. And so. Um, I don't want to feel like I left those guys high and dry, but I really didn't have an option, yeah. and I wanted to work with them for another year. But right. um, obviously, circumstances didn't allow that, and, and I was uh, it was a good time working with Rudy's team. But Marcus and, and that whole group um, from 2017 um, was my crew for the Derby, and so that was my last race at KBM. We built up memories for the whole last two years, and then uh, to be able to have those guys there and. Um, it was really big for myself. One, because I struggled at this, the Pensacola for, I think I went there four or five times before that, and I struggled every single time I went down there. And um, I'd be good for, I'd be fast, but I couldn't, couldn't figure out what I needed out of the setup to make it last for a 60 lap run. And so we went down there to test and, and I was really confident and I knew what I wanted in the field of the race car. And um, I told Marcus, my crew chief, I'm like, Here's what we're gonna do, and I didn't. I didn't want to be cocky, but I, I was confident in, in what I needed in the race car. Um, so I told him, "Here's what we're gonna do. This is the feel I need." He made really good adjustments. The guys worked really hard all weekend. And, um, I think because of the entire um, deal with me leaving KBM, working with those guys one last time. Yeah. It's gonna be our last race. Struggling down at, at Pensacola for the whole time I had. Um, and then and then sticking to a plan and, and it working out. I think that's what meant the most to me is is having everything come together with all the, the adversity I've had down there. And, and so I felt like I finally figured it out um, down there. You never figure it out, but but that weekend I felt like, like we did a good storm. job. Exactly. So um, it, it was an awesome race. It really sunk into me how big of a race that was. When, when Dale actually texted me after the race, he said, Hey man, congrats! I I only went over to JRM a handful of times before that to go to the shop because I was still over at, at KBM. But uh, he texted me. He said that's a big one. There's a lot of big name guys and a lot of leg legends who have been to that race and haven't won it. So soak it all in. And so from really like I felt like I had soaked in until he said that. And I'm like, man, if, if he's saying that, it's a really really big deal. So. Um, Martinsville's awesome. There's a lot of history there, but there's something about the Snowball Derby that uh, it's just one step higher than that. Snowball Derby is synonymous with, with legends, and you add your name to that book. And, uh, and also, one of my favorite parts was the extracurriculars that happened after. You shot your shot. 
no doubt about that. Ended yep. up working out for you because what was the girl's name that you kissed in Victory? Her name Lane? was Helena. Helena, and you took her to the banquet right yep. after that, I right? I took her to the banquet. So took her to the out. banquet, got shot down. Um, <laughs> she kissed me afterwards. Came and got my number. Um, she came to the banquet. She's a great girl, really nice girl. Yeah. Um, we still stay friends to this day, and so um, it's just it's just cool that uh, I'd say the the time down in Pensacola, you get to spend down there for a week. You you see all your buddies you grew up racing with. You see all the crew guys who you've seen for the past three or four years, and to get everybody together, there's a lot of pressure, but it's a it's a really fun time. So I'm just lucky to be able to. To go to that race in general, it's it's an awesome time, and then to take part in it and and race in it is is great, and then to win it is even more special. And to have a hot day to the banquet that makes it better yeah, as well. yeah, it's good. So according to your Twitter bio, as we're shifting gears here, you're a father to a goldfish. No, I died. The the goldfish. Oh, uh, R.I.P. I left for a race. I think I went to Sonoma or something, and uh, earlier this year I had a goldfish and. Um, I think I was talking to a girl at the time or something, and she was supposed to come feed it. She never fed it. She never came and fed it. So it died. You're talking so, to her still? No, I forget Good. who the girl was. I Good. just know there was some girl you I was talking to. don't want that. Just killed your fish. Yeah, you got to change your Twitter bio, though. I know. Uh, you, next, are, you are still the father to that fish. It yeah. just happened to have perished. Yeah, That's just sad. accidents happen. Sorry for your loss. Um, shifting gears again, we talked in Sonoma in Victory Lane after you won that K&N race about um, your post-race ritual I guess we could say you puke after all your wins so I asked you what what the hell's going on and you actually gave me a pretty good explanation you said on the last lap I'm tensed up so tight sometimes I forget to breathe and all that stuff in my stomach all the water that I've drank during the race liquids it all bubbles up and then somehow when I'm celebrating I'm going all bonkers and it just comes out yeah it, uh, I mean I climb the fence after the winds and I get out of the car do a burnout and you're holding your breath from the smoke and holding your breath from the last couple of laps, um, 10 laps. It actually knows. makes sense though, but because it's like, people just might see it and be like, what the hell is he doing? But it literally makes sense. Yeah, like it's like you jack your heart rate up when I climb the fence yeah. and I get down and all that adrenaline wears off and I still have my helmet on and everything. I, I don't have a chance to breathe. And so like Kansas, I, I was super close to throwing up, but I didn't. And then uh, at the Derby, I didn't throw up, but Every other place, I think I have thrown up. So, well, it's like a little. It's not actual throw up, but it's like I throw up water because I drink water during the it's substance. Yeah, that is so inside. it's liquid. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't really eat during the day yeah. leading up to a race. Um, so it's just whatever water I drink during the race is, is what comes out. Unfortunately, but it's not. It's not any chicken noodle soup that's coming. No, no, it's no just chicken noodle water. soup. Yeah. So I believe that you started working with a sports psychologist a couple years ago. Yep. What, what was the reasoning for that, and how has that been since you started working with that sports psychologist? Because racing is more than just driving. Yeah. It's dealing with all the outside pressure, all the outside noise, and driving for Dale Earnhardt Jr., Chevrolet, a big team like this in the Xfinity Series, you get a lot of that on the daily. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a mental sport, and uh, I've been really, I, I've lean, leaned on him. I don't know if leaned is a word or not, but um, I lean on on the psychologist. His name's Jock, and take some of the practices that I've learned from him and, and still use them to this day and um, just trying to be the best that I can be is, is key um, I feel like and so trying to block out all that noise and um, trying to just just have laser focus of execution is the biggest thing I've learned so um, instead of being on that final 
restart for a green white checker and thinking, hey, I wonder what it's going to be like to do donuts uh, on the front straightaway. It needs to change my focus to, hey, what are you going to do to, to win this restart and ultimately win the race? And um, execution's key, in my opinion. So working with him, working with Josh Wise, I've been reading books, leaning on my crew chief, Dave Ellens, um, people around me who I really look up to, L.W. Miller, he's been a big mentor for myself. Um, Dale, I've, I've gone to lunch with him a couple times and really leaned on him. And So just being able to, to talk like that um, with guys who are mentors to myself and, and who I can lean on really helps me with my confidence, my attitude when I get to the racetrack, when maybe things aren't going too well. And um, just, yeah, just my confidence is really the biggest thing. I had a lot more questions to get to with you. We enjoy the conversation. I got one more. Playoffs are about to start here after this weekend in Las Vegas. There's the big three in the Xfinity Series with Bell, Reddick, and Custer. You've been one of the names that's been mentioned as kind of the fourth to maybe get in there with those guys. I'm curious as to you, what what do you think that some realistic expectations are for you and the team heading into the playoffs? Is it a Final Four berth? Is it to win a race? I mean, how do you kind of handicap your realistic expectations? No, I say we just need to keep on, keep on doing what we were doing. Um, Rick Allen came up to me last night and said, hey man, I was looking at the stats um, on the plane flight out here and he's like, you got like 17 top 10 finishes, so you're doing what you need to do. I know you haven't had those big breakout wins like you yeah. want to and, and everybody at Junior Motorsports, they've been working really hard, but he said that consistency is what gets you to Homestead and, and I, I truly believe it. And, um, Look at Reddick last year. He didn't light the world on fire during the middle of the season. His team but, did it last year um, and the year before. Dave Ellens, there's something about what he does um, and and how he knows how to bring the driver and the crew and everybody together um, when it's when it's really time to get after. Obviously, you want to win races during the regular season, and um, we do that every weekend. But um, there's something about his knowledge and um, his mindset in the playoffs that, that I feel like are the reason why they're the champion the last two seasons. So. Um, I believe in my team 100%. I believe in everybody at Junior Motorsports. I believe in my teammates. We're all working really hard together. and I see a great turnaround right now. I don't think we started the... I don't think we started the, the year off maybe with the speed that we all wanted, but there's been a lot of hard work. And I see a big turnaround right now in that, in, in speed. and um, So... We just need to keep working hard and, and be consistent. And um, Our biggest competitor out there, I think, is ourselves. That's awesome. And Noah, thanks for the time. We'll have to do this again sometime, all right? Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Hope you guys enjoyed that chat with NG of Noah Grayson. I, I also wanted to ask him why he has his own emoji. Because if you look on the on your emoji keyboard, there's an NG emoji, like by where there's all the numbers and the blue blocks. Like, I don't know why there's an NG. Like, what could that possibly stand for? I might look that up after this. Let's look ahead to Dover International Speedway, the Drydeen 400 for the Cup Series. We also have the Xfinity Series in action and the K&N East season finale. But let's start with the Cup, guys. The first race of round two in the playoffs. Martin Truex Jr. won at Dover earlier this season. He and the nine of Chase Elliott kind of dominated that race, which was run on a Monday, by the way. Kyle Busch is in a winless streak stretching, I think, like 14 races or something like that. Pretty much like the longest that he's had in his career as of late. JGR is looking to continue their dominance. They did not do too well last weekend at the Roval. Eric Jones had to retire early. Kyle Busch 
same feet, um, fortune, excuse me. Denny Hamlin didn't really run well either, as I can't speak English today, apparently. So we'll see if they can kind of turn around that luck. But they're back on a on an oval, so I expect them to be good. I also was looking at the playoff field. So there's 12 drivers left, right? Three JGR, three Hendrick, three Penske, two SHR, and one Ganassi driver are left. I'm curious, like, did you guys see that coming? I definitely saw three JGRs. I saw three Penske's, you know, maybe two, but I, I had three. I had two SHRs as well. I did not see three Hendrick drivers. I had four JGR drivers in, and I had two, maybe one Hendrick driver in. Um, but that's pretty interesting, so I want to get your guys' thoughts on that. You could tweet me at Davey Center what you think. It's also the 100th Cup Series race at Dover International Speedway this weekend. That's pretty nice. And as I mentioned, the Xfinity Series also in action too. That is a cutoff race for their first round of the playoffs. And the K&N Pro Series East 2019 season finale. Sam Mayer will win the championship. All he has to do is finish 27th or better. And there are under 15 cars that are going to be there. So you do the math. As he starts the race, he clinches. He will become the youngest champion in NASCAR National or regional series history he's gonna eclipse Todd Gillen's mark that he set I believe a couple years back by just a little bit and also this comes in GMS Racing's first season in K&N it's very impressive but as I've talked to some drivers and some teams and some other guys and gals around the K&N garage um, you know I'm actually it's funny I'm actually writing an article for frontstretch.com on is the pay-to-play era in NASCAR over Um, but everybody's told me with GMS you know they spend the most and they get the best results. So that's just kind of the nature of the beast. You know, a lot of people are kind of upset that for a K&N team, you're spending all these hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, maybe even into the millions, if you can believe that, on, you know, like wind tunnel testing, pull-down rigs, sensors, all this different type of thing, these types of things, where you got other teams that are just basically struggling to get to the racetrack, more so meet ends meet. Uh, so... We'll see about that. We also got some some cool guys on the entry list. Toddy G, Todd Gillen, Drew D, Drew Dollar, Tanner G, Tanner Gray. Um, two guys for Rev Racing, Ruben Garcia Jr. and Chase Cabry. It could possibly be their last time racing in the NASCAR k Pro Series East. We'll see. Brandon McReynolds, he, maybe is this his last race with Visconti Motorsports? I don't think so. But with Parker Retzlaff and Giovanni Bermonti, as well as Josh Berry going into the fold next year in that 74 camp, uh, and as well they're going to add another car, we'll see if Brandon McReynolds' time at Visconti is, is kind of coming to an end. But here's a premature congratulations to Sam Mayer. Even if you don't show up for some reason, you're still going to win the championship. So congratulations to you, my friend. I'm sure I'll be talking to you soon, and I definitely know that you are not listening to this, so I don't know why I'm talking to you. Log Nuts of the Week! Cue the music. As the people across the way in my hotel probably hate me. AJ Allmendinger. Fire it up, Dinger. He wins the Xfinity race for Colleg Racing. Nice run for him. Some more silly season news dropped. Tyler Reddick to the 8 Cup car for RCR. That has been confirmed. We saw it coming forever, though, so no real shocker there. The big news of the week, especially from my perspective, is the 2020 framework for ARCA and KN has been unveiled. So what are we going to have? We're going to have the KM Pro Series East and the KM Pro Series West morph into the ARCA East and ARCA West. We're going to have the ARCA Series stay as it is, the ARCA Menard Series. And then we're also going to have 
a, a, a separate kind of series that's going to be 10 races. It's going to be called the Showdown. So, proper terms. Arc Menard Series West dates. Those are going to include, but not be limited to, the Las Vegas Bullring, Irwindale, Sonoma, All-American, and they're going to end at Phoenix at ISM. Arkham Menard Series East races are going to be including, but not limited to, Five Flags Speedway in Pensacola, Toledo, Watkins Glen, New Hampshire, and they will end where I am right now at Dover. The Arkham Menard Series, that's a classic uh, ARCA series that you, you know and love. It's going to be a 20-race schedule, including, but not limited to, Daytona, Talladega, Charlotte, Michigan, Chicago, Pocono, and they will end their season at Kansas as has been the case for the past couple years. And then the Stock Car Invitational, which is going to officially be called the ARCA Racing Series Showdown. They're going to have events at Salem Speedway, Lucas Oil Raceway Park, hell yes, Elko Speedway in Minnesota, Bristol, Iowa, Gateway, and they're going to end their season at Memphis International Raceway. I'm curious as to your guys' thoughts on this. If you want to know my thoughts, uh, ask me and I will tell you. Um, I don't have any like strong thoughts on this. I think it's like probably overall a good move for NASCAR and, and the series to do all this stuff. I've seen a couple drivers complaining in terms of like, well, you we were asking for more short tracks and he kind of took those away um, because the K&N schedule, which is now going to be Arkham Menards East and Arkham Menards West, those schedules got condensed from, you know, 12 to 14 races to six to eight. So we'll see how drivers, you know, react to that as as the news keeps kind of coming in and the schedules are officially unveiled. But that was the big news for the week. The 2020 rules package for the Cup Series was also announced. No major changes, but they have reduced road members from 12 this year to to 10 next year. And you can have no more than 150 hours of wind tunnel testing. So that's going to be something to monitor going forward. Brad Keselowski had a very interesting tweet uh, back to Alan Kavanaugh about that. So I highly encourage you guys to check that out. You guys see Corey LaJoy, what he did to the Roval? He painted some turtles like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I believe it was Michelangelo. Maybe Donatello. I don't know. But that was pretty funny. And he announced that his he and his wife Kelly are expecting their first child. Yay. Congrats to them. I'm a loyal listener of Sunday Money on MRN. So that'll be fun to hear about all their, I don't know, pregnancy child duties it's just like we hear lauren and poppy all the time that'll be fun and also just wanted to throw this in there nascar declined thor sports racing's request for a playoff waiver after their engine failures happened at las vegas uh, thor sport wanted them to grant a waiver to them and basically say hey put us back in the playoffs this is out of our control but to no surprise nascar said yeah no that's not gonna happen all right That'll wrap things up for episode 31 of Victory Lane 2.0. Thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed my convo with Noah. We'll be back next week for another great interview with one of your favorite well-known drivers. We will recap Dover. We will preview Talladega. That's where we're going next, right? Right. Okay. And All-American Speedway in Roseville, California. Before you leave me, please do me a favor. Please rate this podcast, review this podcast, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Uh, Google Play, Spotify, we're on SoundCloud. I work hard for y'all. I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you appreciate it. I hope that you respect it. And Kathleen, I know you're listening. Thank you for being an OG number one fan. Peace and love, guys. See you next week.